I know from the off that I'm not going to have everybody's attention because everybody right now is probably as nervous as I am, super excited at the same time about the whole Liverpool Football Club situation. I mean, like, I don't even want to go there and dream for a minute, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying that right now I am the biggest Brighton fan on the planet. I mean, I have been praying for Brighton. I've been fasting for Brighton. We've had new levels of intercession for Brighton. I'm telling you what, like, we're just believing for miracles today, church. And could you just imagine, could you just imagine for a moment, like, what could happen? happened by five o'clock today. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. So here's the deal, right? Like, I know how distracted we're all going to be, but um, hopefully that as I am, I've been praying for you guys that you're going to just lend me your ears for the next 30 minutes or so as we jump in to the second part of our current series called Living on Amber. Hey, listen, what's really funny is from following on from last Sunday's message, I've had so many people like send me texts and messages behind the back of Instagram just going like, you've ruined the way that I drive now because now I no longer try and beat the red light. I realize that like that's not what the highway code says that we're supposed to do. So I'm really sorry if I've had a positive impact on your driving habits. Uh, I'm sure the DVLA will be delighted to know that Liverpool One Church is doing our bit. But look, we've been talking about this whole idea about how the amber light, it represents a time or a season, a period of transition. It represents a time or a period of change. It's kind of like getting ready now for what's going to come next. And when it comes to change and when it comes to transition, every single one of us knows exactly what it's like at some point to have to negotiate our way through periods of change. We all know what that's like. I mean, sure, it's going to be different for us all. And I hope and I pray that no matter where life finds you now, I hope that you've got something great coming next. I mean, Liverpool Football Club certainly has come five o'clock if Brighton do their job. But I'm really praying that actually that you've got something good on the horizon. Because many of us know what it's like to move from where we are now and head towards what's next. What's next for you might be a new job. What's next for you might be, I don't know, you might be in the process of getting married. It might be another baby. It might be a new child. It might be something exciting going on. You might be buying a new house. You might be currently a university graduate and now you're excited that you're going to get a job. I mean, everything's going to change for you, right? I mean, you might just be excited about how you've got promotion or you're going for promotion. Maybe you're excited about an investment that you've got. But I know that every single one of us finds ourselves in different seasons of transition. And whilst the actual facets of it are going to be different for us all, Transition and change is the same for each and every one of us. But we started to explore this idea last week about how, listen, knowing what's coming next is not the same as being prepared for what's next. You know, one of the biggest kind of difficulties that I find as a a leader of a church is that, especially when it comes to doing these talks, often I can feel the pressure of it being like, hey, you better make sure that this is inspirational today. Hey, you better make sure that this is motivational today because that's what we all kind of like. 
You know, we love that feel-good factor when you feel like you've just had your innards whipped up and it's like, woo, you're ready for the week and you're all motivated up. But, but what I have found is that like being a Christian now for a long time, motivational and inspirational teaching, preaching, doing that kind of a talk, however, whatever your language would, what language would be for that, what I've found is that that is so helpful and it does have its part to play, but actually, Real change comes not from motivation and inspiration, but it comes from education. And not only learning things, but actually learning things and then applying them to your life. And in this series, we're not making any excuses to say, in part, this is gonna be somewhat more educational. You're not gonna walk out of here going, whoa, that was like, fire, glory, Shekinah thing happening in the room. You're not gonna be walking out going, that was just, off the chart, but hopefully, if you apply the very thing that we're gonna teach in this series, it really might help you negotiate your way through whatever change you're facing or transition that you're making. So by the end of this talk today, I'm gonna give everybody some homework, so there's the bad news out. Everybody knows what's coming, so you can't throw apples at me later. But I'm gonna ask you to do something that will end up in us all collectively learning a really short prayer. Now, there are tons of questions running around your mind right now, like why on earth are we gonna learn a prayer? Well, for a start, if you follow Jesus, it's a really good thing if prayer is a habit in your life, okay? Because when you talk to God, I want you to know that God's listening to you every single time. He might not always answer your prayers in the way that you want him to, or sometimes you even tell him to, but every single time that you pray a prayer to God that's sincere and honest, you have God's full attention. So that's why I want us to learn a prayer because whilst I hope that whatever transition you're going through next is gonna be good, no matter what period of preparation you're getting ready for what's ahead of you in your future, I hope that it's gonna be great. But if you're alive and if you've got air in your lungs right now, chances are that at some point you're gonna also experience train, change and transition that really you just don't want. For as much as I hope and pray that what's in front of you and next for you is gonna be amazing, if you're alive, then chances are what's in front of you and what's gonna be next for you at some point is gonna be something that you don't actually want. You know, things happen in life that take us by surprise. They blindside us. And I guess that I wanna talk today about how we can prepare ourselves for those seasons that are ahead of us. And one real practical way that will help us all is if we together learn a really simple, practical prayer. Now, why do we need to learn a prayer? Do you know, there are so many super smart, intelligent people that I know and you know yet they still make some really dumb choices at times. Have you ever noticed how that there are some really switched on people in one area of their life, but they just seem to like only know how to screw it up in another area? It's like for as intelligent as they are in one genre of their life, they're like equally stupid in another. Like really smart people just making crazy decisions. And if you're anything like me, you kind of look at that and go, how does that happen? How is it that you can find somebody that is like so great in business and yet so rubbish when it comes down 
to just being a good husband or a good wife? Like, how come you can find someone else that is like, I mean, they're just like Mr. Casanova, Mr. Lover Lover. I mean, like, they are just Saint Valentine. And relationally, they are just awesome. They've got the smoozy woozy words to say. And they're just like hot property. But the problem is, is for as amazing as they are relationally, they can't even hold down a job. And it's like, how come you can be so awesome in that area of your life? and yet really be useless in this other area of your life. Have you ever noticed, ever met anybody that's like got a super niche skill? I mean, like they just excel at one particular thing. I mean, it could be anything really. It could be musicianship, it could be finance, it could be this, that, or the next thing. Maybe they're a super intelligent computer programmer and they've just got this gift and they know how to make machines talk to each other. And they've got this super niche gift on one hand, and yet they are, on the other, completely rubbish with money. It's like they just live life in debt all of the time, and it's like, how come you can be so smart in that area of your life? How come you can be so intelligent and just make so many dumb decisions and choices? Like, how does that even happen? You know, one of the things that kind of worries me, as I have observed that, and I have at times partaken in that, is what worries me the most is how when I see smart people making dumb choices, when I see really intelligent people making bad decisions, I think, like, that could be me. Because if they're so smart, how come they weren't able to see what everybody else could see was coming to them if they just continued along that path? I mean, if they're so smart in one area of their life, why is it that they just couldn't see it and get it, what everybody else could see? And if that happened to them, that it might also happen to me too. Like if that affected them in an adverse way, this could affect me badly too. I mean, why is it when you could see it coming for them, they turn around and they're like, you know what, I had no idea. And you're like, seriously, you didn't see that coming? I mean, you didn't know if you did A, B and C, it would lead you to D, you couldn't see it. And they're like, you know what, I had no idea. And I just think, If they can get like that in certain areas of their life, I think it can happen to me too. Maybe it could happen to you also. So, as I'm like you, and I like to learn from other people's mistakes, I wanna ask this question. What can we do to ensure that what, what can we do to ensure that we can see what's coming next? Like, what can we do, as some of us are smart, intelligent, switched on people, what can we do to ensure that we can see the very thing that we don't wanna see? What can we do to ensure that we can hear everything that we don't wanna hear? What can we do, if we're honest, to help us better see the very things that at times we just don't want to see? So, to help us answer this question, to help us work out how we can better transition from where we are now to where we're headed next, we're gonna go and we're gonna take some advice from a guy who, probably outside of Jesus, is the smartest man that's ever lived. I mean, he was so wise. His name was Solomon. He was so intelligent. He was so smart. I mean, so switched on. People would travel from all over for days to just book an appointment with him, to sit at his table and ask him some of life's most intricate questions. But for as smart and as intelligent as Solomon really was, he had a huge problem, and we suffer from this problem too. 
Solomon's problem was he was wise, he was intelligent, and he was smart, so much so that he wrote down all of his wisdom in books that we can read today, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But the problem for Solomon was this. He didn't always adhere to his own wisdom. He didn't always adhere and do what he thought was best. I mean, he could write it down and tell everybody else what would be best, but he couldn't stick to it himself. And this presented a huge problem for Solomon. But in Proverbs 27, verse 12, he starts to outline this one particular circumstance, but he introduces to us two individual people that respond to this one set of circumstance in two very different ways that end up having two very different outcomes. So this is what Solomon would teach us all if we want to get better about how we move from where we are now to where we're going next. He says this, Proverbs 27, verse 12. He starts off and he says, the prudent. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. The prudent, like who is the prudent? Well, he's referring to people who are smart, We could replace that word, the prudent, with the wise. Like people who are switched on, the intelligent, the prudent, the wise people. And he's about to tell us what they do and how they respond. But he's saying, look, wise people, prudent people, they do things kind of differently to everybody else. Wise people, prudent people, they kind of live life as though life is connected Prudent people, wise people, they think that what they do now affects what they do next. Wise people think and believe that who they are now is going to be who they are next unless they change who they are in the now. Why? Because wise people know that life is connected. What happens now will lead us to what happens next. And wise people understand this. They kind of live life. And wise people ask this question, and it's a great question that you can ask you, and something that we've spoken about in previous um, topics in church, but wise people seem to live life asking this question of, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what would the wise thing be to do? It's kind of like what they say is, in light of where I want to be, in light of what I want to do, in light of what my goals are, in light of what I want to achieve, what would the wise thing for me to do right now? So he's telling us the prudent, the wise, they they just kind of think differently. He says the prudent, and he goes on, they see, they see danger. What he's kind of saying here is that wise people They have an ability to see things that we often miss. Wise people have an ability to see things in life what they often don't want to see. Wise people, they have the ability to hear what they don't want to hear. They acknowledge what they don't want to acknowledge. You know, there's this thing, and it's called the confirmation bias. Some of you will know a lot more about this than me, but in essence, every single one of us is really badly and detrimentally affected by our own confirmation bias. What that means is, is you will have a way of thinking about a certain subject. You might have a different uh, belief about a particular thing. You might hold or pertain a particular value. And then what you do is you almost inadvertently, without thinking about it, without knowing about it, you look for other corroborative evidence and information that will support the belief that you already have. 
And this is so clever. If you find or stumble across information that doesn't support your belief and your value or what you think, you've got this incredible way of almost like being dismissive of it and you filter it out even if the information that's being brought to you would be resounding evidence to show you that you're wrong, you'll filter it out on the basis that it doesn't support what you already believe. I'll give you an example to make this easier to understand. If you think that left-handed people are the most creative people on the planet, every time you find a left-handed person and they happen to be creative, it kind of carries more weight to you. It's like you notice it and you flag it. And it, it almost like becomes a larger dot on your radar. It becomes something that you take note of. But when you find a right-handed person that is created or a left-handed person that is not creative, even though that information may be right in front of you, it's like your subconscious just doesn't really want to register it. Why? because it goes against what you've already determined in your heart to believe. You believe that left-handed people are the most creative people. Therefore, you look intentionally for evidence, for information that will give credibility to what you already believe. And when you find information that doesn't support it, you become dismissive of that. That's why when you're looking for a brand new car, it doesn't matter how much it is, it's always a bargain because you've already decided you want to buy the car. So any information, you know, when your dad says, but you know what, hey, is that the best price? Is that the wisest thing to do? Or when your friend says, hey, but you know what, do you need a car that's going to go that fast? Or when your wife says, do you need a car that's that small with the roof that comes off it? You're kind of like, you dismiss all of that information because it doesn't add to what you already believe. And what you believe is you need that car. So no matter what car you find, if it has the spec that you want, you're going to get the car and it's always a bargain. Why? Because it's the confirmation bias that we all struggle from. And what Solomon is saying is this, prudent people, wise people, they've got some kind of way of being able to see through the confirmation bias. They've got some kind of way that they can see danger. In other words, they can see what they don't want to see. They've found a way of being able to hear what they don't want to hear. They acknowledge what they desperately don't want to acknowledge, yet they do it and they respond accordingly. Let's go on and see what else Solomon has to say. He says, the prudent see danger and they take refuge. In other words, they act. They do something according to what they can see, even if it's not what they wanna see even if it's not what they want to hear, they take action. They take refuge. This idea of refuge would maybe be best described as, imagine if you were a scout in a military sense in the army, and there's a general with a huge amount of foot soldiers, yet you send the scout miles ahead of where the army is now so that the scout can get a good picture and a good idea of exactly what's ahead and what's coming next. When the scout reports back to the general and he says, listen, the enemy is at this location, 
They're really fortified right now. Their weaponry is more significant than ours. We need a new plan. The general then takes that information from the scout and he not only hears the danger, but now he redirects his own army away from where the danger really is. It's that kind of sentiment that Solomon's wanting to pass on to us. He's saying, look, you, you can't just be aware and see danger. You've got to take action, take refuge, like they did in the army. They travel on another route. Or another way of me saying it would be similar to that of a traveler. You know, imagine hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years ago, people would walk everywhere by foot. But if whilst you were on a journey along a long and sandy, dusty road, you could see that there were raiders in the distance, if you could see that there were thieves waiting for you up ahead from where you are now to where you're going next, then the inference would be that you would take high ground. In other words, you wouldn't just look at what you could see and then not respond to it, but you'd take action. You would take refuge. And Solomon was saying, look, you can't ignore what you see. You can't ignore what you hear. And every one of us has to deal with this confirmation bias, but you've got to take note of what you can see and what you're told and what you can hear. So that's what the wise do. But then Solomon, in contrast, he introduces us to another character in the story. He's now about to say, but listen, to that same set of circumstance, there's someone else that does things very differently to that of the prudent and that of the wise. And he says this, but the simple, now, let me just stop you there for a moment. The simple. There are many words we could use, but the reference is more like the simple man, the naive woman. The simple guy. Now, Solomon doesn't use this term, and I'm not going to either, but you might say, but the stupid person. In other words, the guy that doesn't do the wise thing. On the other end of the spectrum, this is what the simple does. You know, like the simpleton that ends up buying 10 products of exactly the same thing when they just don't need one of them, and now all of a sudden, they've got a house full of the same thing, and you're like, why would you do that? And they're like, I don't know, just those are good ideas. Like Solomon's saying, yeah, the simple guy, the naive girl, like maybe even the stupid, well, they do not live life at all as though life is connected. They live in the now, in the moment. They're not thinking about what they can see ahead. They're not thinking about what's in the distance at all. And this is a problem. They're not thinking like how I am today is going to affect who I am tomorrow. They're not thinking like that. They think like, oh, it'll be different in the future. Simple people think, oh, I'll get out of debt when I get the better job. No, you won't because you'll have the same spending habits in your next as you have now. It doesn't change. You'll just be in more debt. You'll just be a bit more noughts on the end of it. That's the only problem because you're still the same person. And like we spoke about last week, you take you with you from where you are now into your future. And he was saying, look, this is what simple people do. They kind of say, when you flag it up as something being a potential problem, they kind of go, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, don't worry about that. Like, that'll never be a problem to me. That'll never happen to me. Hey, I'll never get caught. Like, no one will ever find out you know, that's how simple people approach life. And the implication, according to what Solomon is saying, is both the prudent and both the simple, they all see the same thing, and yet they respond very differently. 
The prudent kind of look at what they see and they respond. They run for the hills. They take another route. They take action. Yet the simple just kind of go, nah, be all right. Ah, it's okay. It won't affect me, that. Ah, I know that happened to him, but it's totally different for me. No, no, that'll never happen to us. It's kind of like, no, I don't think that will be the case. And sometimes you even get people in the church world and then they say things like this. Well, the thing is, is I like to live in the now because Jesus taught in the Gospels that I shouldn't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry of its own. And you're kind of like, no, that's not what Jesus was meaning. The fact that Jesus was wanting to encourage you to live a worry-less life was not justification for you to not live wisely and look into the future and see potential danger on the horizon. It just wasn't about that at all. And you'll know what it's like to be in and around these people because we've all got friends and family members. Maybe even you've been this person at one time. Maybe even you can see you in it. But we've all been around people where you've tried to sit them down and go like, hey, listen, seriously, dude, if you keep spending like that all of the time, it's going to lead somewhere. It may not feel like a huge problem right now, but I promise you it will be in what's coming next. And they're just like, no, it'd be fine. It's like, I've got loads more credit cards. Don't worry about it. The bank give free money. Have you heard that? The bank give free, woo! Let's rack up the overdrive because it's free, right? And it's like, you're going, what? Are you for real? Maybe you've met someone and they're kind of like going, look, dude, if you keep treating her like that, she's, she's gonna go. Like, you've got to change your ways. You, you can't get angry like that all the time now as a 40-year-old in the same way that you did as a four-year-old. And they're like, no, it's not a problem. She loves me. It'll be fine. She's never going to leave me. She's always going to stick around me. She loves me, including my faults. Maybe you've met somebody and you've kind of gone, listen, if you keep talking to him like that, This is going to be a train wreck ahead. You've got to change the way in which you try and communicate to him. Because every time you talk to him, you're just pressing his buttons and you're pushing him further away. No, he'll never leave me. I know, you can see it coming because you know what's on the horizon. You know, and every time you can see it, you try and point it out. It just feels to you like, man, you're just not getting anywhere. This is true. I had a conversation one time with, with somebody and they were kind of telling me after their marriage had collapsed, they were kind of like going, I just can't believe that the whole thing collapsed in the way, I just, the way that it did. I can't believe that it just ended up getting so crazy. And then you kind of ask a few questions and you're like, well, what was it like in the early days? What was it like when you were dating? And then she started to say, well, the thing is, is my mum never really liked him. In fact, my mum always said that he was a bad guy. In fact, my mum always said there was just something about him, but I wouldn't listen. And I'm going, so you didn't even listen to your mum? And they were like, no, not really. And they're like, did anything else happen like when you were dating that maybe gave you a clue, an indication that maybe one day you'd be living in this train wreck of a marriage? And like, well, when we were dating, he did try to run me over once. And I'm like, and you still married the guy and you didn't see it coming. And they're like, you know, I just didn't think about it then because they're living in the now. They're living like, oh, it's been bad right now, but it'll be okay later on. It'll be great. And it's like, the dude tried to run you over. It's like, what's blatantly obvious for everybody else to see, sometimes we just miss it because we've got a confirmation bias that says, I only wanna see what I wanna see. I only want to hear what I want to hear. And Solomon goes on and he says, but the simple keep going. In other words, they don't change track. They don't change direction. The simple find out that it's a problem when it's too late. 
Now that's not a topic that we talk about in church very often, right? Because we like to hear about, hey, it's never too late in God. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. And if this is your first time in church with us today, I'm so glad that you're here. Like there is nothing that you could ever do that would separate you from the love of God. I want you to know that right off and up front and center. Listen, there's nothing that you could ever do to be outside of God's forgiveness either. But there will be times where you just take things too far and it's past the point of no return. Like, you've just been unkind to her for too long. She doesn't want to know. Like, you've just overspent now forever. You, you can't get out of that. Like, this whole thing is just stuck. Like, this is not going to fix itself because you're past the point at which any good can now come from this. You know, one of the things that I think makes it so difficult for us to avoid reaching that place of no, no return is how often the warning signs that come don't come all that aggressively to us. A couple of years ago, in fact, it was a number of years ago now, we were in Disney in Florida, brilliant place, and we were having a great time. We were at this water park. And if you've ever been to Wet and Wild in Florida, there's this giant, like, family rapid ride where you all kind of climb a million steps and get to the top, and it's like this flume and you sit in this giant rubber ring and you hold this steering wheel in the middle that when you pull it, it spins the boat round and it can take up to eight people. And we were kind of like, hey, listen, we should all go on this as a family, like from the youngest to the oldest. And we were like, let's get grandma on this thing. Like, let's just do it. Like, let's get her on it. So we kind of sold it to grandma and we were like, hey, listen, do you want to come on this thing? It's like a family ride, you know, it's going to be just awesome. So grandma and granddad came up on this ride. And the funny thing is, is that when you go up the steps, I mean, you're walking for about 10, 15 minutes just to get up to the top of the steps. There are so many warning signs that kind of say, look, if you're of a nervous disposition, this ride is not for you. Like if you've got a dodgy heart, whatever you do, don't go on this ride. Like if you don't like heights, don't go on this ride. But the thing is, is, is all of these signs are all on the queue on the way up to the ride. Now, when we got to the top of the ride, we all sat down in this rubber ringy, ru rubber ringy? Rubber dinghy. <laughs> Rolling down the flume and my rubber ringy. And um, <laughs> you know, this is screwed now because I'm going to have to do it the same again for everybody online tonight. So it's like, this is gone. So we're all sat in this thing. And literally the guy goes, are you ready? And the kids are going, yeah, we're ready. And like me and Emma are going, yeah, we're ready. Granddad's going, yeah, we're ready. And grandma literally starts to go like, I'm not so, we get pushed off down this slide, right? And literally it started off relatively mellow for about two seconds. And then literally all I can say is the screaming started. I mean, like I've never heard anybody scream for their life as much as hearing my mother-in-law on this family rapid ride. I mean, like honestly, at one point she was crying out like, God, just take me now. <laughs> and I'm going like, seriously? But I, I, I mean, like she was like, praying in the spirit, you old school people like praying in tongues. She was shouting out for God to rescue her. At one point she was shouting out that God would send fire and brimstone to destroy the ride. I mean like it was just getting out of control. We were loving it. We thought it was hysterical. But my mother-in-law, she was just like, get me off. And we're like, well, you can't get off because you've got like a 3,000 foot drop if you get out now. And I'm thinking, yeah, you can get out now. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but like, honestly, 
she's wanting to get out and he's past the point of no return. And the problem is, is that all the warning signs for that ride are when it's peaceful and when the music's playing and when you're walking up to the ride and you can see danger. Got a dodgy heart, don't do it. Nervous disposition, don't do it. You're like, no problem. But then the moment that you're on the ride, it's just like it's too late. Because the rapids come and they come fast and they come furiously. And this is what the writer of Proverbs was saying to us. He's like, look, you can't get off when the rapid ride has started. That's why you've got to be prudent. You've got to be wise. You've got to see what's coming in the distance. And chances are when someone comes alongside you and says, listen, if you keep treating her like this, or if you keep spending like that, or if you don't knuckle down and get a job now, or if you don't study hard, when people come and have those conversations, it's like you're on the se- in the season of life where you're just walking up the steps and everything's cool and everything's fine, but you can't get off when the rapids start. That's why we've got to choose to be wise and not be simple. But then Solomon says this, and this should be the thing that wakes us all up. He says, but the simple keep going. They pay the penalty. In other words, another translation says they suffer harm. Now I'm not talking about like, you know, any kind of divine judgment from heaven coming like to smash you down like a lightning bolt. I don't mean anything like that. I'm just talking simple cause and effect. Like this is what happens if you live life that way you're gonna end up in that direction. If you're gonna make those choices, it's gonna take you somewhere. But sometimes it's just too late. It's like if all the credit cards are maxed out right now and the mortgage is up to the hilt and your car loans are all maxed out, look, it's too late now to start talking about a budget. It's like you're at crisis point. It's like, look, if you've reached 65, 66 and you're like, you know what? I should probably think about doing something for my retirement. It's like, dude, it's just too late. And the cruel realization is like, if you've not thought about that way ahead of time, now you're 65, 66, chances are you're gonna work for the rest of your life. Like, there's no easy fix for that. I mean, you get pregnant and then you're like, you know, now I'm gonna try and reevaluate my relationship. It's like, no, no, you're past the point of no return. Like, this is a problem. And Solomon was saying, look, this is what simple people do. They can see what's coming, but they just don't respond. So, how do we prepare for what's next? Because for you to live your best life, we've got to understand that if smart people can make really dumb choices, then we can all make those same mistakes too. So what's it gonna take for us to prepare now for what's next? Well, we've got to take refuge. What does that mean? You've got to take action. You've got to do something. Like whatever it is for you, no matter how awkward, no matter how hard, you've got to take action. If you can see that where you're going is gonna present a major heartache, a major problem in your future, do something. Whatever you do, don't be the ostrich and stick your head in the ground. You've got to take action. The second thing that you've got to do is you've got to be willing to sacrifice. Wise people often sacrifice what they want now for what they want most. I think we've got to take that approach in our life. I think we've got to take that approach with your finances, with your relationship. Be a way that's going to invest in what you want most, not just what you want now. The third thing that it's going to need from you is a time and a season where you're willing to just be embarrassed. When we started this church, 
and for as great as it is now and all you are here and everybody comes in at the six and we've got this place and it's kind of cool, it's great and you can bring and you can invite and it's kind of like it's growing and it's just, it's kicking and it's awesome and I love everybody on staff and I love everybody on team, like you're amazing but, but when we started this church and there was like 20 of us week in, week out, week in, week out. And I'd go to conferences and meet all these other pastors and people, many people who would know of me. And there was always this question, it'd be like, how many people are in your church? And you know what? I'd be like, yeah, 21, like 20. And I always felt sometimes that maybe, maybe they weren't, maybe not everybody was disappointed with that. Maybe everybody almost had a sense of like, hmm. And I'm like, oh. And it just made me feel awkward and it made me feel weird, weird but, but I knew what I had in my heart that we wanted to build. And, and I don't have any of the problems now because it's like church is awesome. But, but when you make those changes and choices in the early days, you've got to be willing to be embarrassed. You've got to be willing to be made to feel awkward even by other people because they will not understand what you're doing it or why you're doing it. But you can see that there's danger ahead. So you change course and direction. And the third thing, and it's more of a byproduct of what comes when you make these changes and choices. It brings you relief. Like, like a sense of God being with you that enables you to breathe when you focus on what you want most over what you want now. It kind of makes you go like, I might not have been where I wanted to be, but I'm so glad that I changed course, like, I'm so glad that I didn't rack up more debt on the credit card, like, I'm happy about that. I might not have the trainers, but I'm, I'm happy about that. I might not have the huge, huge mortgage, but I'm, I'm happy about that. So this is what we've gotta be willing to do, but I think this can be helped if we learn a prayer together. And this is a short, simple prayer that I pray Often, I'm not a big prayer. What I mean by that is like, I'm not good with praying for hours and hours and thousands of words. I forget what I say. I mean, I feel sorry for God because I'm like, God, you would not have a clue what I've said if I pray all of these long words. My prayers are, are super short and they're super like almost bullet point style because it helps me to feel like, God, I know that I'm being sincere when I ask this of you. So I, sometimes I've got a prayer diary and I just write my prayers down and they can be like five lines, four lines, but God, this is what I'm trusting you for. This is what I'm asking you for. And, and this is my kind of help me to prepare prayer. And it'll come up on the screen for you because if you pray this, I believe that God will answer it. And it's simply this, Heavenly Father, help me to see trouble coming long before it gets here. Then give me the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to actually do it. Give me the wisdom, God, to know what I should do but don't let me just know it. Don't let me just be aware of what's on the horizon. God, would you give me the wisdom, the boldness and the courage to actually do it? And if you pray that prayer, when you're living on amber, no matter what change is ahead of you, no matter where you are now, it'll bring you so much relief as you journey towards where you're going next. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. Oh, yeah.